This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Saying it out loud is really helpful so that we're not going to bed and just with these feelings of anxiety And they're kind of, we're not sure where it's coming from. So even saying out loud before bed, I'm anxious because I'm going to be really rushed tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to get to the grocery store. So it's said out loud. We've created some separation. Hey friends, welcome back to the Joyful Courage podcast, a place where we tease apart what it means to be a conscious parent and a conscious human on the wild ride of parenting. I am your host, Casey O'Rourke, positive discipline lead trainer, parent coach, and mom walking the path right next to you as I imperfectly raise my own two teens. Joyful Courage is all about grit. Grit stands for growth on the parenting journey, relationships that provide a sense of connection and meaning, and influential tools that support everyone in being their best selves. Today's show was recorded last year and the content is still so potent today, especially as many of us are navigating our kids back in full-time in-person school. I am confident that you will love it. Also, if you're not already on my email list, I want to remind you again to join. I pop into my subscribers inbox with stories, podcast news, and offers just about every week. My hope is to make you laugh or at least feel validated and keep you updated on all the Joyful Courage goodness. If you're into it, go to joyfulcourage.com slash email and sign up. Signing up now will get you the seven tips for connecting with your teens. Seven tips over seven days. If you put them into practice, they will make a difference in your relationship with your kids. Each day you will get an action step and bonus encouragement for all of you overachievers out there. Again, that's joyfulcourage.com slash email. Sign up and stay more connected. Enjoy the show. Hi, listeners. My guest today is Julia Glowinski. Julia is a registered social worker, a certified sleep consultant, and a cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia clinician. She is an expert in all things related to sleep and how to achieve optimal sleep. Julia is passionate about working with individuals and families experiencing sleep difficulties. Her focus is on building a strong foundation for healthy sleep to promote long-lasting sleep improvements. Julia uses an integrative approach to uncover the many factors that affect sleep quality. This includes paying close attention to emotional well-being, diet, physical activity, sleep hygiene, stress, and overall mental health. As the relationship between mental health and sleep is significant, Julia's strategies incorporate mindfulness and relaxation techniques to help quiet the mind. And in order to make meaningful change, Julia believes in the importance of collaborating with her clients to create a sleep plan that feels realistic and attainable. Hi, Julia. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me on. Yay. So, okay fill in the gaps about your journey of becoming a sleep specialist. What took you in that direction? So I am a registered social worker and I spent about eight years working on two psychiatric crisis units for children and adolescents. And I mean, being in that environment and seeing so many complex behavioral and mental health issues, it was, it was really interesting to me that how much 
sleep really played a role in overall functioning. And where I worked, we had a sleep lab in the basement. So they could bring Ooh, the machines in the basement. up. That's an ominous place. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Down in the basement. Could... <laughs> Sorry. Well, the cool thing was, is they could actually bring the machinery up so that people could have sleep studies while on the crisis unit. Mm -hmm. And we can see how they were sleeping and what their sleep quality was like and how that actually affected their mental health overall. So I mean, that alone was just so interesting to me that I decided to actually dedicate my private practice to sleep counseling and working with individuals and families trying to get them better sleep. And of course, I did this on my second mat leave when I was incredibly sleep deprived. I had one dream sleeper and my second was just so much trouble at first. And I really, really struggled. And it took a huge toll on me physically mentally and it took me to an all-time low and that's when I was became really interested in trying to work with people who had were experiencing what I had experienced because it really affects every aspect of our life. Oh, I love that. So that inspiration coming from like, oh, I I know what this feels like and I can help myself and then learn that I can help others. Exactly. And I think that that has really helped me understand what people are going through. Because before then, I didn't really ever have struggles with sleep. If I was anxious, all I wanted to do was go to sleep and I'd sleep well until this second baby came around. And then everything took a huge turn. And I, I kind of understood what it was like to be completely sleep deprived. Mm. So I love this conversation, Julia, both for the parents who are trying to support their kids in sleep and also you know, just because we're adults doesn't mean, like you said, that we have the tools. And I think that we kind of are really good at holding space for, hey, sleep is important, especially when those of us with teenagers, right? Like you have to get a certain amount of sleep. It's really important. And then we look at ourselves or maybe we don't look at ourselves and it's like, and I'm running on five hours of sleep and it's fine. <laughs> I'm just going to keep powering through. Exactly. Yeah. And there's so much out there for parents of babies and parents of, you know, the, in the first five years around sleep that finding someone to talk about adolescent sleep was something that I was really excited to do. So I'm grateful for your time and that you were willing to come on and share the work that you do, because I feel like, well, we're going to get into it. There's a lot of things that can come into play when our kids move into middle and high school, one of which is that realization that I talk about a lot, which is we can't control them. Gosh, darn it. And even as we are witness to the things that are getting in their way, we can't control them. So let's just start at the beginning. What does healthy sleep look like? What should we all be striving for? So in general, we want to fall asleep within 15 to 20 minutes. And that time can range, but that is about a healthy amount of time it should take us to fall asleep. As adults, we want to have seven to nine hours of sleep, but for teens, it's more around eight or 10 hours. Okay. And then we want this sleep to be continuous. So we don't want to necessarily be having wake-ups in the night or for these wake-ups to last a long time. It is normal for us to kind of come in and out of sleep between sleep cycles, but overall, we want them to be as short as possible. And we're also looking at how we are functioning during the day. So we want to be alert and productive and be able to get through the day without feeling really fatigued, like we can't function without a nap. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, we don't want any abnormal sleep behavior. So anything like snoring, gasping, extreme restlessness, those are things that might warrant going to investigate it with a sleep study. And would you say those things like happening continuously on, you know, like on a regular basis without any, uh, like I'm thinking about my husband who is kind of working through some significant health issues. So his body is pained. And so he does do a lot of kind of moving and moaning and groaning, but I don't think it's a sleep thing as much as it is his body just through the night. Uh, I mean, it's not super terrible and I wear earplugs. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's how <laughs> which I is always myself. helpful. 
But yes, so of course there are going to be things that can cause those abnormal behaviors or right. restlessness, um, including things like sweating during the night. Like there are things that can be normal depending on what you're going through. Mm-hmm. But I think there, it's a good time, like if you are snoring um, every night or gasping in your sleep for air, those are things that need to be brought to doctor's attention. Got it. So focus on our middle and high school age kids. Um, Like I mentioned to you before I hit record, a lot of my audience has kids, you know, in those age ranges. Talk a little bit about the sleep science in the context of the developing adolescent brain. Well, as teenagers, there's so much happening with our brain and development, and that's why sleep is so important. So sleep helps us with things like emotional regulation, um, fostering healthy relationships, concentration, decision-making, and there's actually a correlation between kids who don't sleep well with an increase of risky behaviors, such as substance use, even sexual activity, Mm self-harming, things like that at a really young age, because it really affects our decision-making skills. Yeah. As I was listening to you talk, I was thinking I often talk here on about Dan Siegel's brain in the palm of the hand model, like uh, around self-regulation. Yes. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but I can imagine and lived through a couple of years ago, a very sleep deprived teenager who it was like, instead of being regulated, it was almost as if her lid was halfway flipped all the time. And there were a lot of things that came into it. You know, one was not great sleep, which because, you know, she got up at crack of dawn to get ready for school and then was sleep deprived and the access to caffeine and energy drinks. And I mean, it was just like, I I can see how there's such a snowball effect and sleep. I mean, it seems like sleep is the no brainer, but at the same time, I can also see how the choices that are being made throughout the day can make it more difficult to tap into solid sleep. And so, oh my gosh. Exactly. It's, it's really this vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. And like you said, there's so much going on. There's so much happening, especially in a teenager's life and trying to navigate school and our peers and relationships and friendships and so much is going on and just trying to develop into an adult mm-hmm. and navigate all these they things. are one. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That there's such an increase of stress. And yeah. not only are we busy and therefore want to sleep less, but the stress really makes it more difficult for us to sleep. And then we get less sleep. Yeah. And because we get less sleep, the first thing we're going to notice is that our mood deteriorates. And yeah. then we become more anxious, sometimes more depressed, more irritable. Our relationships suffer, which causes us to have more trouble sleeping at night. So it's this snowball effect that really takes us sometimes to a place where it's really hard to get out of. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God. Spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well-being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first First box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. 
Hey friends, as a podcast listener myself, I always get so excited to share when I find a new show that I think is super useful. So today I want to tell you about Understood Explains. This is a podcast that tackles one important topic per season. And this season is all about navigating individualized education plans and is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. Getting the support our kids need in school can feel tricky, and we aren't always sure what it is that they need. When I listened to the episode titled, Does My Child Need an IEP? It offered up so much useful information that I could really see supporting parents who are in this consideration. The host is so knowledgeable and really breaks down the content in a way that helps listener go from completely overwhelmed to actually starting to feel empowered. Other episodes in the series highlight the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, as well as a whole episode that busts common myths about special education. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Understood Explains. So check it out. You won't be sorry. Talk about the circadian rhythms. Is that how you pronounce that word? Yeah, our circadian rhythms. Yeah, so talk about that because I feel like that gets thrown around a lot, like kind of in a a flip way, like, oh, teens, you know, they become teens and they want to stay up really late and sleep really late. I know in the context of this last year and in my own home, you know, as like, especially through the summer and the spring when the schools shut down and you know, online school was kind of a crazy mess. And we got into summer and at my house, it was like, go to bed at 12, get up at 12. And I just, you know, I'm a morning person. So it was kind of luxurious for me to have the house to myself (laughs) till noon. And in the back of my mind, I was wondering like, is this healthy? Should I, you know, is this okay? And then recognizing, oh my gosh, my kids are getting more sleep than they've ever gotten before. And and a lot of parents actually in my community during that time before the kids went back to school, there was a lot of conversation around, oh my gosh, my kids are staying up so late and then they're sleeping late. Is this okay? You know, and that's always the question. And I always offer like, well, you know, there's no perfect answer to, is this okay? Because of the layers and dynamics that I am unaware of in every family, but like how attached to the idea that kids move into the teen years. So they naturally want to stay up later and they naturally want to sleep later. How attached to that do we need to be? Yeah. Well, it is true. It is true that it's not a myth. We do want to stay up later as teens and that's because our circadian rhythm shifts. So our circadian rhythm is um, it's, you can think of it like an internal body clock that tells us when we want to be awake and when we need to be sleeping. Mm -hmm. And it's guided a lot by light and dark, even when we eat fresh air, things like that. So naturally we want to follow the circadian rhythm because it helps everything align. So we want to stay on schedule, get up at the same time every day and things like that. For teens, naturally it's pushed back about two hours, which is called sleep phase delay. Okay. This can also actually happen when you have a concussion. So sometimes after concussion, you may find yourself going to bed later and wanting to wake up later. Seldomly, it can actually do the opposite and make you want to go to bed earlier and wake up earlier. But for teens, naturally, they become night owls. Mm -hmm. And that's why it would be ideal if school started later. Yeah. Because then teens would be able to get the sleep they need. And and the research shows that about 60 to 70% of teens are chronically sleep deprived. They're not getting enough sleep. Wow. Yeah. Coupling that with everything we know about adolescent mental health right now. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So we have this internal clock and I'm guessing that because of some of the things that I mentioned, access to caffeine and just doing the Mm -hmm. things, stress that is there. So, you know, when we are tapped into our internal clock, I'm guessing it's the most clear, like we can experience our body letting us know like, oh, it's time to wind down when all other things in our life are optimal, right? 
Exactly. We want it to happen naturally. And there are things that we need to do during the day in order to help shift our circadian rhythm. I mean, for teens, naturally, what's happening is their body starts producing melatonin later. Mm-hmm. And the sleep drive actually builds more slowly through the day, which makes them tired later on. So some of those things are going to naturally occur. And at the same time, there are so many different routines, practices, activities that we're doing during the day that can actually help get our circadian rhythm where we want it to be and get in the habit of going to bed a bit earlier and waking up earlier. Yeah. And with your clients, before we get into what helps, let's talk about what's getting in the way. What do you see with the adolescents that you work with that you know, are the culprits of getting in the way of good sleep? I know what you're going to say. A lot of screen (laughs) time. (laughs) It's the first thing that comes up. It really is. So I would say screen time. And of course, we all know that blue light emitted from our screens is not good for us before bed. And it actually sends a message to our brain that it's daytime. Mm -hmm. So we don't need melatonin to be produced. And that can affect how we fall asleep as well as our sleep quality. Okay, let me stop you there because I really want, I'm really interested in this for myself as well as for my kids. So the blue light inhibits melatonin release. So it gets in the way of the signal that lets us know that our body wants to sleep. And so I'm thinking about, you know, is that every screen? Like, does that show up when we're watching TV the same way as laying in bed and looking at the phone? Yeah. So we don't want any screens about an hour before bed. Okay. So at least 60 minutes. I would say that things that are more active, that are making us more alert would be worse. So if you have to have a screen before bed for some reason, TV may be better, nothing too exciting, but TV would be better than being on your phone and scrolling. In my family, that would, be, that would mean we could watch The Crown because I love The Crown and everybody thinks it's the most boring show on the planet. So nothing too exciting. <laughs> Everyone just turn on The Crown or Downton Abbey. Go yeah, on. I only got through a couple episodes. So in my personal experience, I think The Crown, if you need to watch TV before bed, I'd go for The Crown. Um, <laughs> that would be something that I would recommend. Plus it clears the room. So there you Yes. <laughs> Sorry to make us of the crown. Um, but something like that. I mean, yes, we don't want our brains to be too alert. So that's why right. video games are not recommended. Okay. But the other thing that screens do besides that light is they, they do make us more alert and they could make us more anxious depending on what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So if we're scrolling through social media and comparing our lives to others and seeing things that we're left out of or people that we don't look like that we want to look like, which Mm -hmm. often happens when we're scrolling Instagram or something that can also trigger us before bed Mm -hmm. and make us anxious when we're going to sleep. What are the effects of sleep deprivation? You kind of have touched a little bit on it, but what else shows up when we're sleep deprived? And I think, you know, I want to ask this question one to inform us, but also to support us in recognizing the the indicators that are happening maybe with our kids or with us that the root, one of the root problems that we're going through is sleep deprivation. What are the, um, and, and actually, even as I say that, Julia, I'm like, oh, well, maybe it's the answer to everything. <laughs> <laughs> it often is. I think it's impossible to have a conversation about well-being and uh-huh. physical and mental health without talking about sleep because mm-hmm. we pay so much attention to what we eat and exercise and this wellness conversation and we often leave out sleep. So what what are we looking at? So mm-hmm. we did touch a little bit about depressed mood, feelings mm-hmm. of anxiety, emotional instability is a big one. Also our decision making is impaired we touched a bit on, but other things like reaction time, mm-hmm. which doesn't sound like such a big deal if you're thinking like reacting to certain things, but it's a huge deal when we're talking about driving. I was just going to say, I have a 15 year old who's just got his permit and I'm like, oh, I want his reaction time to be on point. Right. And for certain people in their careers, depending on what they're doing, I mean, they say that the sleep deprivation can be equivalent to alcohol intoxication Mm. in terms of our reaction times. So that's really important to know. So we have a higher rate overall of having mental health issues, poor reaction time, as well as a lot of physical risks. So we have a higher rate of heart attacks, heart failure, high blood pressure. 
diabetes, um, so many different things. In fact, 90% of people with insomnia actually have another health condition because they're so closely correlated. Mm. What about bad dreams? I have one kiddo who doesn't sleep great. She's It's gotten better, but uh, the last few years, I, she has really disturbing dreams. Is there a connection there to the quality of her sleep and what's showing up in her dreams? Like what's going on there? What can you tell us about that? So it's interesting. We don't really know the purpose of our dreams, but a lot of the time, if we are feeling anxious throughout the day and we're Mm -hmm. kind of going to bed on high alert, we're more likely to be processing that when we sleep because we do Mm -hmm. process our emotions when we're sleeping. And then dreams happen in REM, which is our rapid eye movement. It's our dream sleep. And we have more of that in the second half of the night. So in the first half of the night, we have more deep sleep and we have more REM sleep the second half of the night. So I'm not sure if this is a new thing, but I have found personally, like professionally and in the research that people are having more dreams and nightmares during COVID. Like obviously we have a lot of things to be anxious for right now. Yeah. But on top of that, if we're not getting up early to have that commute to school or to work, we end up sleeping in a little bit later. Mm-hmm. And then we're obviously getting more REM sleep. And when we wake up in REM sleep, that's when we remember our dreams. Oh, that is interesting. So it could be the timing of our sleep. Mm-hmm. And it also could be what could help is trying to process our emotions during the day so that we're not bringing them into bed with us. And I mean, one great thing you can do for nightmares, and I love doing this with kids, teens, adults, if it's a recurring dream or a recurring theme, Mm -hmm. not just trying to process that dream, which obviously is important, but trying to change the ending. Mm. So if we're, sometimes you can dream that you're just stuck and a door won't open and you keep banging on the door and you're in a scary situation, so then during the day, we would process that by creating an ending for that. So you, you're banging on the door and then the door opens and you go upstairs and we're again, the creepy basement, right? I picture ourselves in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> you run away from the basement and you go out and you find your friends. So yeah. it sounds so silly, but it helps us actually process that to try and not have that dream where we're working through it during the day. And when you say working through it, like, is there, I'm guessing one way would be to write the story with a different ending or speak it out loud with a different ending or, or is it simply enough just to imagine the story with a different ending? I think all of those ways are great. Not everyone wants to journal, but that Mm -hmm. definitely can be something you do. Um, But for teens, yeah, even talking it out loud or creating it in their head or envisioning it. Mm -hmm. For younger kids, I even have them draw it out. Let's Mm -hmm. draw a story and write a story. So the monster's there. And this monster was upset because he had passed on his head. And Mm -hmm. so we're drawing it out. We're making him silly. We're making him or her less scary. And we're creating a different narrative. Yeah. Well, and and also what shows up and I'm thinking would be really great in my own practice is when there's a lot going on because yeah, I mean, I know for me, it's really common, especially lately, it seems like to go to bed and just have the running thoughts, like the spin of, I want to do this and, oh, that's a good idea. And then I should do that. And then this, oh, I've got to take care of this. It's just this like continuous cycle. So even though we're not all journalers, I would imagine that do you find in with your clients that like taking time to just kind of brain dump onto a piece of paper before bed is a useful strategy for calming down the spin out? Absolutely. So if someone is open to that, that is a fantastic thing to do. And there's so many amazing journals that now prompt you to just write two sentences before bed Mm -hmm. or two things I'm grateful for. And one thing that I want to do tomorrow so that you don't actually have to write a whole big entry Mm -hmm. as well as keeping paper and pen next to your bed, which is something my grandmother, my mom used to always tell me to do. And of course I rolled my eyes, Mm -hmm. but now I do it and I find it so helpful. So if things are bothering me and I have to think, Oh, I don't want to forget this person's birthday. Mm -hmm. And I forgot to call this person back then I just write it down and create some separation from it. So I think that can be a helpful tool as well. And saying it out loud is really helpful so that we're not going to bed and just with these feelings of anxiety, 
and they're kind of, we're not sure where it's coming from. So even saying out loud before bed, I'm anxious because I'm going to be really rushed tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to get to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. So it's said out loud. We've created some separation. What are some other strategies for getting optimal sleep that you can share with listeners? So I think it's really important. The first thing is looking at your sleep environment. And it's so simple and very often overlooked, but making sure that it's as dark as possible, that it is comfortable, obviously, that there's no sounds waking us up, even if that means you have to sleep with a fan or a sound machine, that can be really important. And making sure, especially now, that your room is really only used for sleep. We don't want to be spending the day. That's a big ask, Julia. I know it is. Um, But making sure that we are associating our bed and our room with being asleep and not staying in our bed and watching TV all day or working in our beds. And I mean, of course, you can have a one-off. And if you don't have sleep issues, then, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. But this, for those of us struggling with our sleep and trying to set up our teens and kids with healthy sleep habits, that's a big one. I think I want, I want to pause you for a second because I want to make sure everybody heard what you just said. If there isn't an issue, then don't worry right? Because I know a lot of parents have teens who are doing online school often from bed. Yes. You know, and we're, we're all in this place right now of like, where do we lean in and where do we let go in the context of so much being out of control and wanting our kids to have, you know, I mean, just all of the madness. And so I really wanted to pause you because what you just said was important. Like if you're good, if you're, if there all the other indicators are that your kid is, you know, okay, then you don't need to get worked up by hearing like only sleep in the bedroom. Cause I'm thinking the same thing. I mean, my son, you know, he does school, his computers in his room and this like workstation is it's a very odd shaped room is on the other side of this kind of long room as his bed. And really, you know, when he's at school, he's over there. And, and it's really only when he comes down to sleep that he's on the, and it really feels like two different vibes, even though it's the same room and, you know, we're not so concerned. I mean, he gets, he sleeps, he does pretty well with sleep. So And two things I want to say to that is one, that's exactly right. Not all of us have a space that we can go to. Some of us are in dorm rooms or studio apartments. So if we have to work in our room, that's okay. Try to change up the environment, get dressed. So we're not in our pajamas working all day. And then we just roll into bed. Into it. (laughs) Like you and and I right now, Julia. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Don't out me. Yes. Um, but I changed into like my day pajamas, my night pajamas. <laughs> so I feel like that's totally acceptable. Yeah, you're um, good, you're good. yeah. So making sure that even if we do have to work on our bed, we're in a dorm room or something, and that's the only place we can work, make your bed, make it a little bit of a different environment, yeah. lots of bright light and work with what we have. Other thing that I wanted to mention is in terms of all of these healthy sleep habits. Yes. So some of them are physiologically physiologically important. So yes, we should be sleeping in the dark. It should be cool. Things like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But other things about sleep strategies and what's working for us and when to exercise and things like that, I do try and say, yes, if it's not, if you don't have an issue with it, you don't need to fix it. Mm -hmm. But also, especially when working with teens, we can't just go take a black or white approach. It's really all about the gray. So switching your screen off an hour before bed, for most of us, it's not realistic as adults or as teens. So can we meet somewhere in the middle? Can we do a half an hour before bed? Or can we stay up a half an hour later just so that we're not on our screens right before bed? Mm -hmm. So really trying to find that gray area is really, really important when working with teens. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. What are some other strategies? So you mentioned exercise. Um, I know that you there's some, you know, diet things to think about. What are some other things that we can put into place to get closer to that optimal sleep? So in terms of exercise, ideally we're exercising, even if that means going for a walk, but getting out in the fresh air if possible or not, just exercising for about three to six hours before bed. 
And that gives us enough time for our body temperature to decrease a little bit, which is what we want right before bed because our body naturally decreases um, one or two degrees in temperature. So three to six hours before bed. In terms of what we're eating, we want to make sure we're not having too much caffeine. So the cutoff usually is 10 a.m., not more than two cups. Mm -hmm. Again, this is something that I would look on at you personally if this is something that you need to do. Sure. Also looking at alcohol. Um, So again, we don't want to have alcohol right before bed because that can suppress our deep sleep and our dream sleep and Mm -hmm. can really mess with our sleep quality. And trying to make sure we have set routines in place. A bedtime routine, as we all know, for babies is so important and for infants and toddlers, but it's just as important for us and for our teens. Mm -hmm. So having something that's consistent and predictable is really important to help cue our minds and our bodies that it's it's coming, we're separating the day from the night, and now it's time for us to go to sleep. Yeah. And... Mm -hmm. Man, yes, 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 <laughs> all the things. And you know, you work with them and you work with families. I'm wondering, have you ever facilitated conversations inside of families that support? Because all of this, I'm a yes, right? And I know that there's parents listening and I've been there too where you know, we make these suggestions or we implement some of these practices and our teens, God bless them, respond with, well, that doesn't work for me. Like I, I, that doesn't work for me. Um, How do we, one, get buy-in from our teens? Because I'm guessing it's not just like, oh, well, last night I tried that routine and it didn't work. I'm guessing that, you know, to change a habit, to change an outcome requires taking those steps multiple days, perhaps weeks in a row to actually feel the effects. So how do you support families and parents of teens in particular in having these conversations in a way that feels really productive? I think patience is key for sure. It's not something that happens overnight. Though some things that we implement really can help right away, but especially when we're dealing with teens who don't necessarily want to make the change or aren't motivated, it really helps to get them involved. And I believe that they should be involved in coming up with their goals so that they're attainable and they feel realistic for them. Mm -hmm. And also having some power over the strategies that they want to implement. So Mm -hmm. they tried a meditation before bed and thought it was stupid and they hated it. No problem. I don't like all of them either. It takes a while to find something that we do like. So instead of doing that before bed, what else can we do? So trying to have them have some, the most input and control over it can be really helpful. Trying to make the changes really slowly so that they feel realistic. And sometimes it helps if it doesn't come from a parent. So having someone step in and work with the teen alone or with the family can be really helpful. But I think the most important thing is modeling it. Mm -hmm. So what exactly does your sleep look like? Mm -hmm. What does the family do at 11 o'clock at night? Is the family all still up watching TV at one in the morning, Mm -hmm. but we're we're upset that our children are sleeping in until noon. So really taking a look at the family as a whole. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? 
This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. I appreciate there's a through line here that's really aligned with everything that we talk about with joyful courage and with positive discipline, which is, you know, the relationship matters that come from the tone, the way of being are, we all know those of us with teens that what's never effective is when we're trying to control something, <laughs> even when it's control through like, we just want them to be healthy, right? We just want them to feel good. And sometimes it seems so like such a no-brainer from the outside looking in, but our approach can either hold the ideal of optimal health as the center point, or our approach can hold, here's mom again, telling me that I'm doing something wrong and that I need to do something else and how they respond to both of those things are so different, right? The willingness versus willfulness is really dependent on how we open these conversations, isn't it? For sure. And I remember when I was in high school, I was on the phone till three in the morning and my oh, yeah. mom was so upset. She thought it was like the world was ending. And I was like, I'm such a good teenager. All I'm doing is I'm safe at home right. on the telephone. Like, what is the big deal? And it did affect me academically and emotionally without me realizing it. But I always try to think like, how could she have gotten through to me? Right. You know? Well, and, and what's happening right now, I mean, I just yesterday worked with a client around this is, you know, because kids can't physically hang out together, they're hanging out together online and which is not a bad thing in and of itself, right. but I, it, we all feel like we're the only ones who have any screen restrictions because what we're hearing from our kids is nobody else has to turn off the Wi-Fi. Nobody else, you know, which by the way, okay, there are plenty of parents out there who have no rules, everyone. And there's a lot of us that are implementing rules. So don't get sucked into that argument from your kids, you know, and we're really worried about their social development right now. And so yes. how do you support, you know, what are some things that, and this is not something that I plan to talk about, but we're just going to go into this direction when our kids are. And, and I, and one thing I said to this client yesterday who has a 14 year old, you know, who wants to be up till one or two in the morning playing games and hanging out with his friends. And what I think to myself too, is, well, would I, if they were all hanging out in person together, would I be okay with a one or two o'clock curfew when they were 14? And the answer is no, of course not. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I was waiting to hear what you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, putting things into, into context, I think is really useful, but how, you know, in your private practice, when you're working with families and parents around this, like, what are some of the things that you share in that particular conversation? Because you know, we are in the tension of wanting to make sure that our kids have a social outlet. And because of technology, you know, it seems like it's this giant ocean of, well, now they can hang out together all night long and we want them to sleep. We want them to turn off the screen. We want them to have healthy habits. What are your thoughts around that? If any. It's all about negotiation. I think sometimes what can be helpful and sometimes it's just not helpful at all is having just a conversation with them about mm -hmm. if you're noticing that their mood is off or things aren't going well for them on a mental health level of talking about the importance of sleep. 
Mm-hmm. Now, for most kids, I would say that's not going to solve the situation, but I think it's always trying to like have a conversation and about yeah. the importance, see where they're at. Yeah. Once we've kind of exhausted that, sometimes I think it's important, especially now to really manage your expectations. Mm-hmm. And it, like you said, would we actually be upset with a one o'clock bedtime? Maybe we would, maybe we wouldn't, depending on their age. I think that it's important for kids right now to have that um, social interaction as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So I think when working with the clients, most of the families that I've been working with have actually opted for a later bedtime Mm -hmm. and they're not so upset about the bedtime per se, as long as there are healthy habits in place. Yeah. So some consistency about what time they're getting up so that it's not just, well, today I'll go to bed at 11 and wake up at eight and then the next night I'm going to bed at three and sleeping until noon. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I think the consistency is the most important thing because that can lead to a healthier lifestyle overall. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Thanks for that. And you mentioned um, like meditations before bed. I know that there's this, my daughter and my husband both use the sleepy time app and the, and you know, I love insight timer I've also used Audible. I have, <laughs> I must have listened to the Outlander series of books like 14 times by now. <laughs> and I can put it on it's and amazing. it immediately puts me, even though I love the story, it's way more exciting than The Crown. Um, but I know it so well that I it lulls me to sleep. And I sometimes I wonder um, for myself and you being a sleep specialist, I'm so excited to ask this question. For a while, I was like, gosh, should I be able to lay down and go to sleep without this? Um, and actually I mentioned earplugs. So the last couple of months I've been using, um, like, I mean, I just really shove them in the wax earplugs that just brings me to complete silence. And it took a little while to be able to fall asleep without like an audible story or sound. What are your thoughts around that? Well, I guess it becomes a habit. So to break that habit is going to be difficult. So it doesn't necessarily mean that we can't fall asleep without it. But like you said, it takes a while. I don't have any issue with falling asleep to music or a podcast or relaxation, um, a meditation. All of those things are great as long as they're shutting off after a certain amount of time. So we don't want them playing the whole night because then it affects our brain activity and our sleep quality. However, if you find that you have it before bed and then you're waking up in the night and you can't fall back asleep and you need to put it back on, that's probably when I would say, let's try and see if we can go without it. Okay. That's good. That's good information. Yeah. And then all of these uh, like mindfulness strategies or relaxation strategies and the the apps are really, really great for if we're having trouble falling asleep at night or if mm-hmm. we're having night wakings and have trouble getting back to sleep. Mm-hmm. Yes, it may involve looking at your screen to put it on, but we have to do whatever's going to help us get back to bed. I think the, the advice that I would give people is if we're only listening to it before bed, when we're already feeling anxious or panicked, or we're listening to it in the middle of the night, then we start associating it with always being anxious. Mm. So what we want to do is actually try and find one that is calming for us and listen to it during the day. So we're practicing these breathing techniques or relaxation techniques during the day. And only once we find them nice and calming, then we want to start introducing them into our bedtime routine. I love that. That reminds me of just like we're building the muscle, right? We're building the muscle and the association Oh, I love that. That's really, that's really helpful. I'm realizing I could talk to you about this for a really long time, Julia. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else that you want to make sure to mention to parents who are listening and are concerned about their kids' sleep habits? What did we miss? Um, I would say just to go slow when making these changes. We don't want to start making these rules. Well, there's no TV, there's no this, there's no that because then it can backfire. And we don't want bedtime to be this negative thing. Sleep is always going to be around for us. We want to have positive associations with sleep. 
So taking it nice and slow and modeling a healthy sleep environment and healthy sleep strategies is really important as well. So really bringing it into the whole family mm-hmm. rather than just making it about our one child who doesn't mm-hmm. sleep well. Yeah. I have a friend that says go slow to go fast. And that when you said that, that reminded me, you know, we, I think sometimes we get, we parents get really anxious about how do I make this stop? How do I make this go away? And we get a little enthusiastic (laughs) and that's when we are met with the wall of resistance. So I appreciate the reminder to go slow and that we'll get there. Yay. So the last question that I ask all of my guests is in the context of what we just have been talking about, Julia, what does joyful courage mean to you? I think it means finding the joy and beauty in the unknown and Mm. trying to continue to push forward with a sense of joy. Yay. I love that beauty in the unknown. There's so much unknown right now. And, you know, parents of teenagers, even even without COVID, there's, we're really living in uncertainty. That's for sure. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Where can people find you and follow what you do in the world? So you can find me at a clinic called Straight Up Health. It's here in Toronto, um, straightuphealth.ca. And on Instagram, it's the same, straightuphealth.ca. It is a mental health clinic for teens and young adults in Ontario. And we also just brought on a mental health performance coach who will see clients all over anywhere, which is very exciting as well. Yay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. It was so much fun. Thanks for listening, friends. I really hope you enjoyed this show. Don't forget, you can get the seven tips for connecting with your teens, as well as updates and offers from Joyful Courage by joining my mailing list, joyfulcourage.com slash email. Do it now so we can be even more connected. Also, be sure to follow me in all the places. I love connecting with you on social media. If you feel inspired and you haven't already, do me a favor and head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. We are working hard to stand out and make a massive impact on families around the globe. Your review helps the Joyful Courage podcast to be seen by even more parents. If the review thing isn't your jam, just snap a screenshot and share it on Instagram or Facebook. Tag me, Joyful Courage, and I will repost it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, friends, take a deep breath. Ride it into your body. Find that balcony seat for perspective and trust that everyone is going to be okay. I'll see you again next week. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.